Bibles tonight, turn to Joshua and chapter number 2. Joshua and chapter number 2 tonight. This will be a familiar story to you, I believe. And I, I want to uh, uh, read, there's one phrase in particular that I want to uh, draw your attention to uh, when we get down to uh, the 11th verse. Joshua and chapter number 2. And uh, I'm going to read uh, several verses in the introduction of the message. So I'm going to pray. And rather than read the text aloud together, I'm going to pray and jump right into uh, the sermon. Joshua and chapter number 2, turn there with me. And uh, let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. Father, we love you. Thank you once more for the opportunity uh, to stand and proclaim your word. And I pray that, again, we'll be instructed and helped. A transformation will take place because of a renewed way of thinking as we look at the Word of God. And, uh, Lord, may the lessons we learn impact our own lives and uh, make us more what you'd have us to be. And so, uh, please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, speak to the hearts of thy people as you have spoken to me in this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua chapter 2, verse number 1. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying... Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in thither tonight to the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the women and the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I... Wished not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan, unto the fords. And as soon as they were, uh, which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. And that your terror is fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. When you came out of Egypt. And what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side Jordan, Sion, and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Note the phrase, For the Lord your God, He is God, in heaven above and in earth beneath. She goes on to make an appeal to these men who had come to spout the land that she, because of her kindness to them and helping to spare their lives by providing them uh, a safe haven uh, when they were being hunted and uh, allowing them to escape uh, uh, arrest and certain uh, persecution at least and probably death. She said, I want you to remember my family. I know that your God is the true God and I know that you're coming here and I know you're going to take this city. I, I believe that. I know that your God is the real God. He is God. And I, I'm, I'm asking for mercy and I'm, I'm asking that you spare me because of the kindness that I've shown to you. And in a beautiful portrait of the blood of Christ, 
The men agree in verse 17. The men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind the line of scarlet thread. I'm not preaching on this. I just want to read it. And thou shalt bind a line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And anyway, they won't die. Amen. Oh, I like that. Amen. Oh, thank God for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Amen. Jesus said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And they saw the scarlet cord hang in the window of Rahab's home, built actually into the wall of Jericho. It was the only place that survived God's judgment when the walls came to fall down flat. Notice what she said again in verse number 11 to these two spies. In, uh, in the latter part of verse 11, she said, The Lord, your God, He is God. The Lord, your God, that's a personal pronoun, your God. Not just a God, it's not your nation's God. I know something about you men. I haven't been around you much, but I know something about you. That's your God. And I know that He's real. He is the real God. He is God. Not a little G God. He's God. Amen. Capital G God. And the faith of these men, and of course, the testimony of the nation as a whole, but in particular, the faith of these two men, impacted this woman's life. She's a woman of ill repute. Obviously, we know by her occupation that she was far from a God-fearing person. But she saw something in these two men. And she said, you know, the God you serve is real. And I want his protection. And I'm going to help you because I believe through your testimony in your God. I got fascinated by that a few months ago when I read through there and and underlined those phrases. And I, I got my Bible study program down and I punched in as a phrase two little words, God of, God of. And there's many, many uh, God of, and it's a fascinating study. I just barely got into it, maybe uh, several dozen of the verses. It's uh, 497 times you find that phrase in that order, uh, the God of, uh, in a total of 452 verses. So it's used, uh, in some of those verses, used more than once. But 497 times you find that little phrase, and I got fascinated by that, and I and I began to read each of those and look in their context. I want to show you just a small handful of them tonight, and some of the things that challenged my heart uh, while I read. Before we do, let me introduce with this story. It was 1900 when the Boxer Rebellion arose in China, and it instigated a, a nationwide attack against all foreigners. That, of course, put the missionaries, the foreign missionaries who were in the country of China at the time, their lives in grave danger. Most of them lived uh, near port cities and were not too far inland that they could not escape from the country. And most of them did. But those who were inland uh, were not so fortunate. 150 missionaries who could not make uh, to the to the water's edge, as well as thousands of their Young converts were massacred during that horrible time. It was September the 1st of 1901. It was one just about one year later after that terrible massacre. And uh, all foreigners were condemned and uh, told to leave the country and upon threat of death. That a young, single, 20-year-old Marie Monson 
got off a boat in Shanghai. She was from Norway. It was 19, uh, uh, in 1901. And she went to a little town called Nanyang. Nanyang. In one of tens of thousands of cities in one of the many, many provinces of China. She spent some, some time there and some other missionaries came behind her and her work began. And 40 years later, 39 years later, in 1940, a young mother, 20 years old, was saved because of the influence of that group of missionaries from Norway. Nine years later, communism would sweep into the land and take control. Uh, in 1949, China became a communist government. And in the year that followed, in the years that the decade that follows, all, all, all missionaries were expelled from the country. In just one city, as way of example, in 1950, in one city of Wenzhou, 49 pastors were arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and went to prison camps. Some of them with sentences up to 20 years and only one of them ever returned home. The other 40, 48 died in, in prison. But it was in the town of Nanyang where those years before, Marie Monson and other missionaries had come to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And where a young mother had been saved, now with five children, husband and five children, where the persecution had taken place, not only the pastors arrested in that one city, in that one area, but Christians who would not deny their faith were horribly persecuted. Some of them were crucified to the walls of the churches in Nanyang. Numbers of them were dragged to death. One was hoisted up by, uh, by, by a, a, a pulley system way, way up in the air and dropped to his death, except he didn't die, so they pulled him up again and dropped him again. As a result, all the missionaries fled for their lives. Christianity was suppressed by the iron fist of communism. And the young 20-year-old mother who recently received Christ with no Christian fellowship, no church service to attend, and no Bible to read, became distant from her God and backslid. She and her husband, as I said, We're going to have five children. Fast forward now, 24 years later to 1974. And her husband, who had had at one time uh, uh, fought for the National Army against communism when it came in, and thus their family was persecuted for that. He had been interrogated many times and suffered greatly. But now then he had gotten asthma and now then he had cancer in his lungs. And now then the cancer had spread to his stomach. And they had a very, uh, there was a poor area anyway. But all the monies they had had been spent on medical doctors and trying to help dad uh, survive. Finally, all their money was gone. And the doctor said there's nothing else to do. And told the mother, take, take your, your husband home to die. This is 1974. Over five children, one of them was 16 years old, man, young man by the name of Yun. With no hope left and dad dying, mom lay in bed one night. And just as clearly 
as God has spoken to her the day she got saved. She felt the words course over her in her mind and in her heart. Jesus loves you. And all of a sudden, a renewed sense of the love of Christ and what He had done for her all those years before, though she had been so distant from Him, compelled upon her heart and she began to weep and she literally just fell out of bed on the floor and repented of her sin and backslidden condition and, and began to cry out to the Lord. She called her family together wanted to know why was mom laying in the floor crying. And she said, I've just gotten right with Jesus and I've been, I haven't spoken to him in forever and he just spoke to me and, 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 and dad is dying and, and I don't know why I didn't think of it sooner, but if dad's going to live, we've got to pray to the only one who can answer our prayers and that's Jesus. And that night she led all of her children to Christ, <laughs> including 16-year-old Yun. And that night they began to pray. A very simple prayer. Jesus, heal Father. Jesus, heal Father. Jesus, heal Father. Jesus, heal Father. All through the night they prayed. The next morning, Dad was hungry. He said, I'll have something to eat. He hadn't, he hadn't wanted anything to eat. Had no appetite of much of anything for months. But he was hungry. Amen. And within a week, he was completely healed of his asthma and his cancer. Because it was illegal to gather without government sanction, she sent her children, including six children-year-old Yun, to family, area family, and extended family, and said, Would you come? Uh, Mom would like for you to come and visit our family. Well, they all thought, they all dressed in their, in, in their appropriate clothing to grieve the loss, uh, knowing for sure that his father had died, but he didn't tell them that. He said, just come. Would you, Mom would like you to come visit with our family. They come expecting that, that the loved one had died. Except when they got there, there he was. He was completely well. And they told the story. And every single one of their extended family members got born again. And a 16-year-old boy Though his mother had, for nearly 20 years, in, in, in the area of 20 years, had been estranged from God, no testimony to her own children, not even faithful enough to lead her own teenage boy to Christ until a heartache came, until dad was about to die, and then renewed fellowship, repentance, and renewed fellowship with Jesus Christ. And then he came to know the Lord, and came to know that there was a true God and his name was Jesus Christ, and he could answer prayer, and he could heal the sick, and he could save one who was at the brink of death, and he began to hunger to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ. The story of the heavenly man, Brother Yun, as he is called, is a fascinating story of a man who's one of the men, men instrumental for the incredibly aggressive house movement, house church movement in China. I wish I'd tell you more about this story, but the pivotal point in his life when he saw that his mother's God was the real thing. <laughs> and he then would go on and has gone on to lead tens and thousands, yea, hundreds of thousands of others to Christ through his influence. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis in chapter number 9. I want to challenge you through the Word of God tonight as we consider those who are impacted by the faith and testimony of others the question that I desire to burn upon your heart is this. Who is leaning on my faith? Who sees that my God is the true God? Who sees that my relationship with Him is genuine and worth seeking? The first time we find that phrase, 
of those 497 times as it refers to an individual is here in Genesis in chapter 9 and uh, verse number 26. I want to begin with verse 24. A very sad and sordid story precedes the verses that we'll read. But verse 24 says, And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, notice the phrase, God of Shem. The Lord God of Shem. That was one of Noah's sons, of course. Notice the phrase, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And Canaan shall be a servant. Those are the descendants of Ham. Ham, Shem, and Japheth, Noah's three sons. Canaan, the descendants of Ham, shall be servant to Shem and his descendants. God shall enlarge Japheth. And notice the phrase, he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. And Canaan shall be a servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. And all the days of Noah, 950 years, and he died. I won't go into the details, but Noah uh, found himself in a compromising position because he, uh, he indulged in, in uh, wine. And, uh, and uh, that'll put you in a compromising, compromising posi- uh, position. One of his sons uh, 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 had a lack of discretion. The Bible doesn't give us the details. But one of his sons was cursed when he found his father in such a compromising position. Two of his sons, Jephthah obviously taking the lead is the inference, I think, of the verses that follow that we've just read. Uh, uh, try to show honor to their father and, and try to diffuse the situation and bring some dignity back to him. Noah woke up and he realized some things and he said, I predict something. You might call this a prophecy, pro- prophecy or a prophecy if you want to. That's not a word, but if you want to, you can call it that. A prophecy. <laughs> Or you might call it a prediction. But here's what he said. Canaan, you're going to have a curse on your life. May I say this? You don't have to be like your parents. You don't have to be like your grandparents. You can make your own decision. And we we pound that out and we preach that. And that's a Bible truth. Don't use that proverb. He said the children's... Have eaten sour, uh, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. Don't blame your father, don't blame your grandfather. But the fact still remains that the influence of one generation does pass to the next generation. And it does go on to children and to grandchildren. And Noah called it a prophecy or called it a prediction. He said, I, I predict that the shape that you're in, Ham, that your descendants are going to take after you and that your descendants will be cursed. And that did bear out. God shall enlarge Japheth. God's going to bless you for what you've done, increase your influence, Japheth. But here's a fascinating phrase. And he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. Now he addressed his God as the God of Shem. Noah is speaking here, and he said, Blessed be the God of Shem. The obvious inference is that Shem is the one with the testimony. Shem was the God-fearing of the three sons. Shem was the one who tried to restore dignity to his father. And it is upon the testimony of Shem that Japheth is to find comfort and sustenance and dwelling. Canaan would have a curse on his life. Shem would have the blessings of God on his life. 
and Jephthah would be blessed by his brother Shem's walk with God. And on the strength of his brother's testimony, Japheth would choose to dwell in the tents of Shem. He would choose on the strength of his brother's testimony where he would live. He would choose on the strength of his brother's testimony where he would work where he would rear his children. Those children's lives would be affected. The children's children's lives would be affected. And my question to you and I tonight is this. Who is altering the course of their life based on our testimony? Who looks at our lives and says, you know what, that's a God-fearing man. And you know, he's got a marriage that's uh, worth emulating. And he's got a home uh, that's worth emulating. And, and he's got a life and a testimony. Not a perfect man, but there's something about him. His relationship with God is real. I, I think I'd like to see, that's the kind of guy I'd like to work for. That's the kind of guy I'd like to work with. Maybe that's the kind of family I'd want my kids to be a little fond of their kids. I'd want my children to be friends with those. That's what Japheth enjoyed. Japheth enjoyed in his life the influence of the brother who walked with God. And I don't know about you, but I'd like to have such a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ that others might say, well, that sure would help our family. That sure would help our family. I see many of you, sometimes you bring a a neighbor here and there with you to church and somebody, you bring a co-worker, you have co-workers, Danny had co-workers this morning. And that we're here, and I think to myself, what a wonderful thing. I was talking to a man yesterday, and his co-worker is a member of this church, a faithful man. And I said, let me tell you something. I said, he's got some brokenness in his life, and he's trying to patch some relationships up. And, uh, and, uh, and I said, can I give you some suggestions? I said, uh, I, I said, I want you to think about your co-worker. I said, I suspect that if you get in the truck with him, even if you didn't know him, after a little bit of a ride down the road, you'd probably know that he's a God-fearing man. He said, yeah, in the first 10 minutes. How about that? He said, yeah, in the first 10 minutes, you'd know it. (laughs) Now, whether this dear man sitting in this room tonight knows it or not, his co-worker has already espied his testimony for Christ, already sees him as a God-fearing man, already enjoying the influence of this God-fearing man. And I don't know about you, but I'd like to be such a person that a broken world around me, whether it be neighbors, whether it be co-workers, whether it be folks that live down the street, folks I meet in the grocery store, to be able to say, you know, there's something about your life. There's something about your beliefs. Can you tell me more? I'd like to be around what you have. You know, Ruth wasn't really a stellar testimony for the Lord, was she? She was out of the will of God. But she had more of a relationship with God than Ruth had ever seen. And though she was so far from what she should have been, when she finally got her heart right after the heartache of losing her husband and losing a son and losing another son, and finally she said, what am I doing here out of the will of God? She was hearing stories of miraculous provision back home where she should have been. And she said, i got to get back home to the will of God. And she goes to leave and her daughters-in-law say, we're going with you. She said, no, it's different back home, girls. It's not like here. Your gods are here. Your family's here. All your friends are here. I, I, I don't, I, what am I going to do? Get married again and have more sons? And if, if I could get married and have more sons, you're going to wait for them? You want to marry? You stay in the family? That's not going to happen, girls. You just stay here. The one kissed her mother-in-law and said, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you too. But you're right. I'll stay here. And those famous words, some of the most beautiful words ever written in any literature, including the Word of God, 
Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. And thy people shall be my people. And thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die. Where there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if all but death part thee and me. Oh, Ruth, she never saw much of what a Christian ought to look like. But the little bit of testimony uh, that, that Naomi did have, Ruth said, I haven't seen anything like this where I'm from. Down here in Moab, our gods are cruel. Down here in Moab, our gods require sacrifice. Human sacrifice. But I hear tales of what it's like back home. I've heard the stories. And if you're going back there and you want to get back in touch with that God, I want to go with you. Oh, would to God you and I could have a testimony and that what was said of Shem, the God of Shem, and some come to dwell near the Shem because of its relationship with his God. Oh, I would love to be someone that could bring Stability to the lives of many people whose lives are topsy-turvy. When young William Borden surrendered his life to go to the mission field, he inherited his vast, his dad's vast fortune. I've done the math, it's been a while. But several years ago when I did the math, it was in the 40s of millions of dollars they'd inherited. As a 25-year-old young man, 40-some million dollars, a 25-year-old young man. It's more than that now, I'm sure. 40-some million dollars, a 25-year-old young man, he gave it all away. He said, I'm going to mission field by faith. His mom said, son, no, no, don't. He said, look, well, let's just be the, be the chairman of the board of, of, of the business and you, and, and you just come back once a year and you have a board meeting and then you go back and do mission work and you'll have a good salary. And he said, mom... Everybody else is going by faith. i got to go by faith too. Gave it all away. He got over to Cairo, Egypt to learn the language. And contracted meningitis. Mom got word across the ocean, come quick, your son is desperately ill. She arrived at 1 o'clock in the afternoon in Cairo, Egypt, 9 o'clock that morning. William Borden had gone to heaven. Word came back to the United States. William Borden's testimony and as the story was told the record shows that over a thousand young people stood to surrender their life to serve God on the mission field to take William Borden's place I wonder if my life and my testimony might impact someone like Shem's did the descendants of Japheth Go to chapter 24 of Genesis with me, please. Genesis in chapter 24. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, we learn from chapter 15, verse 2, that's Eliezer. Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go into my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Without reading all the verses in between, Eliezer accepts the task that is given to him of his master Abraham. 
And he goes off to find a place to, 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 to his, uh, his master's country to find a wife for Abraham's son. And the Bible tells us in verse number 10, And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his, were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, notice it, O Lord God of my master Abraham. Mark that in your Bible, would you? O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, Send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water. And the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. And it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. She was a granddaughter of Abraham's brother. And the damsel was very fair to look upon. That's always a perk, isn't it? Amen. She was pretty. She was chaste, a virgin. Neither had any man known her, and she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up, and the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of, the pitch, of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and, give him drink to, and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. God answered his prayer. He said, even before he got done praying, he said, Lord, if this is the gal that comes, the, the, the girl that comes, I want to ask her for water. And if she said, let me, let me give water your camels also, then I'm going to know that's from you. I'm going to know that's from you. Don't you love it when God answers your prayers right away? Amen. Amen. He did that for me this afternoon. gave me a parking lot. Even before I got the prayer finished, it was all, it gave me a parking lot. He gave me a parking space in the lot. And uh, I love it. I love it. He answers even before we pray, the Bible said. But notice the phrase again in verse 12. He prayed on the authority of the God of his master Abraham. Down in verse number 27, he gives explanation. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and of his truth, I being in the way. The Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. On the strength of Abraham's testimony, Eliezer dared to pray. On the strength of Abraham's testimony, Eliezer was led by the God of his master, Abraham. My question tonight, who on the strength of our testimony is learning to pray? Who on the strength of our testimony is learning to walk in the way? Who on the strength of our testimony is learning to be led of the Lord? Who on the strength of our testimony is learning to prove God for a divine appointment? When Elisha stayed on the heels of Elijah, even while his peers said, Dost thou not that God's going to take your master away? Why don't you leave him alone? And he said, 
Yeah, I know it. Hold your peace. In Hebrew, that means shut your mouth. <laughs> and Elisha was there when the fiery chariot came, and Elisha was there when the mantle fell. And Elisha picked up the mantle and walked to the river. And he said, Well, he did it for Elijah. Wonder if he'll do it for me. And he said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Ha <laughs> ha! Took the mantle, smote the waters, and Elisha said, My master's God is my God. The God of Elijah is my God. And Elisha got what he asked for, didn't he? A double portion of Elijah's spirit. Just before I left my office, I pulled a Bible off my shelf. And I was thinking if I was going to preach tonight. And I opened up where I have a number of signatures of men that I love and admired. And I remember sitting in chapel as a freshman, 18-year-old freshman, sitting in Bible college, and a, a skinny, tall, skinny man. Missionary to the Philippines came, Lane Jones. And he preached in chapel. Told how that he went to the Philippines by faith and started winning people to Christ and put up a structure and started gathering people. On the first anniversary of being in the Philippines, had 1,046 people gathered, hundreds got saved. And my heart burned. My heart burned. I said, Lord, I'd like to be used. You did that for Lane Jones down there in the Philippines. Maybe you could use me one day, Lord. Graduation service a year ago, our high school graduation service, not this last May, but May a year ago. Johnny Camacho was among the graduates and texted me today, by the way, started teaching a new Sunday school class today, so pray for him. Teaching, uh, I think, second, second, third grade boys, I think. Anyway, and Johnny was graduating, and his sister Katie had uh, graduated from our school several years before that. And she's working in, you know, in church and just working and so forth like that. And, and um, I, 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 don't, I think I said something to you maybe a couple weeks before. I felt something pressing on my spirit. And I said even to my wife, I said, honey, I have this feeling in my soul that may, I, I think the Lord would, would, would want Katie to go to Bible college with her brother. She said, really? I said, yeah, I just feel it. But I didn't, I didn't say much else about that. And I kept thinking about it. And I, Lord, is this from you? Graduation night, everybody was dispersed and, and, uh, and folks were out in the foyer, you know, and gathering, looking at the tables and displays and so forth. And, and Johnny was out there and his sister was nearby. I said, C- come here, come here. I want to talk to y'all. And she came walking over there. I said, listen, before you leave tonight, I said, y'all come to my office for just five minutes. I got something I want to share with you. It's on my heart. I just want to tell you one thing. Just give me just a handful of minutes before you leave the property. They said, okay. And they mingled and folks took pictures and so forth like that. And Anyway, it was the crowd was kind of thinning down. And they approached me and we went over to the office and I stepped inside. I said, look, I just want to tell you one thing. I said, take what you want from it. I said, it's just something I feel in my soul. I said, Katie, I have this strong compelling in my spirit. 
that the Lord would have you to go with your brother and, and go to Bible college with him. And when I said that, the tears just kind of jumped out of her eyes. And she said, she said, I've felt this for a long time. And I've been praying for wisdom. She said, but I didn't say anything. I didn't know. I didn't know if it was from God or not. And she said, I I sort of gave up on the idea. I said, God, if it's from you, I don't know if it's from you or not. I don't know. How do I know if it's from you or not? And then she said this. She said, and now here you're telling me exactly what God's been telling me. She said, I've heard of lots of people God did stuff like this for. But it's the first time he did it for me. Can I tell you something? You have a mama that walks with God. Hey, that's your God. You have a father that walks with God. You saved. That's your God. You have a friend that received a miracle from the Lord. That's your God. You have somebody you love who God directed their life. That's your God. And you have a right to go to Him. And the God of your fathers and the God of your friends who have a testimony for Him. Hey, you can too have a testimony like Sam, like Abraham, like Isaac and so many others. In Genesis 28, in the famous place where Jacob was arrested By the heavenly vision, we find in verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. Jacob sees a vision there. Verse number 10, let's read it. Jacob went out from Beersheba and went forward toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest to thee will I give unto thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I'm with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee until I've done that which I've spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. One of the saddest statements in all the Bible, by the way. Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? And this is none other but the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he put for his pillars and set it for a pillar and poured oil upon it, the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, meaning the house of God. He called the name of that place Bethel. The name of that city was called Luzit the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall The Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar should be God's house. And of all thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now this is a sincere vow, I believe. I believe very sincere about it. Here's a a sad part of the story. It'd be 30 years 
before Jacob ever makes good on his commitment. 30 years before he ever makes it back to this place to make good on his vow. But would you see what he said in verse 21? Then shall the Lord be my God. Upon the strength of his father and his grandfather's faith, Jacob made his vows. May I ask you a question tonight? On the strength of your testimony, who else has made their commitments to Christ? Many of us tonight in services like when Dean Miller came so many years ago to give his life story, and Dr. Williams on numbers of occasions came and gave his life story, and Carl Hatch, who gave his life story and told the story of God's grace in his life, many, many of us made our commitment to the Lord when we heard about the faith of these men. Each day I pray for three primary things, love and wisdom and power. And many, many times as I pray for those, I think about my relationships and I pray according to my relationships, asking God for love for him, for my wife, for my girls, and for my grandson and for you and for lost and so many, many others. I pray by relationship. When I get to the subject of the power of God, if I understand Luke eleven thirteen, and he said, after this manner pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy, et cetera, et cetera. Only a handful of words he used to give a pattern of prayer. And then he tells a story of many verses about begging for bread for others and how we need the importunity to keep bombarding the throne of grace. God, give me your power. Give me something to feed others. Give me something so I can be an effective witness. Give me something so I can train my children. Give me what I need to help others. And I pray for power. And I think of that little phrase, God's no respecter of persons. How many, many times I have said, Lord, now you gave your power to Brother Howes. And you gave your power to D.L. Moody. And you gave your power to Billy Sunday. And you gave your power to Lee Robertson. And you gave your power to Charles Finney. You gave your power to Bob Gray in Florida and Bob Gray in Texas. You gave your power to G.B. Vick and... You gave your power to J. Wilbur Chapman and Savannah Rowland, Bob Jones Sr. and Charles Finney and J. Frank Norris and John Rice and Curtis Hudson and Jack Hudson. Every time I pass that big building on the north side down there going down my highway and I think about God's power on that man and the thousands who came to Christ. And I think about Hudson Taylor and Jonathan Goforth and Adam Judson and I even remind him that Thomas was a doubter and he gave him his power and he even gave Jonah revival. And I say, God, you're no respect of persons. What you did for others, would you do it for me? And I believe you and I can go with that kind of authority to God and say, you're the God of my fathers. You're the God of my own dad. And you put your hand on his life. God, put your hand on my life. I think about this service just a couple months ago. And one person came forward to get honest with God. And then another, then another, then another. And we said, so it's over here. Got their salvation settled. They're coming to be baptized. And then you see somebody put their face down. <laughs> and after a while, smile. Oh, so-and-so back here got this thing settled. Amen. They got born again. They're coming to get baptized. <laughs> then over here, somebody. Amen. Wouldn't it be wonderful if through our testimony, God touched the hearts of others to believe and trust the Savior we have trusted. Laban. Laban was out to kill old Jacob. Turn to page chapter 31. He's so mad at Jacob. Could have wrung his neck. 
chased, chased her down. Verse 27. Excuse me. Verse, uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 27. Yes. Chapter 31, verse 27. Chapter 31, verse 27. Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me and didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth and with songs, with tabernacle and with heart? Why'd you sneak out, Jacob? And hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Thou hast not done thou hast now done foolishly in so doing. It is in the power of my hand to hurt, to do you hurt, but the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, <laughs> saying, Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. Laban would not harm Jacob on the strength of Isaac's testimony. How about that? May I ask you a question? Who has made peace? Who had conflict one with another on the strength of your testimony? That's what David did with Mephibosheth. Is there anybody of the house of Saul that I could show kindness to? Yeah, there is. There's a little crippled boy down in a load of barn. He said, you know, I made a promise to Jonathan. He was an honorable man. I think I'll go pay a visit to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was blessed by David who desired to make peace with the house of Saul because of the testimony of Jonathan. I've just scratched the surface and I have more to give, but I won't. I think you get the idea. Wouldn't it be wonderful if someone would say, you know, the God of my mother, the God of my father, the God of my brother, the God of my sister, the God of my co-worker, the God of my friend, the God of my neighbor, the God of my teacher, maybe the God of my pastor. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? If our testimony and on the strength of our testimonies Others made their commitments to Christ. Others made peace with one another. On the strength of our testimony, others learned to pray, learned to be in the way, learned to be led, learned to prove God, to see God's leadership in their life. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? Somebody needs our faith to be genuine. Let's stand together.